0: Okay, we have Keith Martin and his wife, Ann and some of their children here with us tonight. Keith is going to have a children's meeting, and then after that, he's going to share in the topic outreach in the local community. So if the children want to come up and sit in the front two benches over here, and we'll uh, turn the evening over to Keith. Well, good evening to the rest of you all, too. So thinking about community outreach, you know, just a disclaimer right up front, it is hard to do the things that we should do. So the things that have the most value in life usually do not come natural to us. So whether it is eating healthy, you know, living a healthy lifestyle, learning things, getting an education, being disciplined enough to have a good job. Typically, to to get the results we want, we have to do things that we don't really want to do. We have to discipline ourselves. So reaching the community around us, something I think we none of us would deny that it's an important part of the Christian life. It's something we're called to do. It doesn't come natural to many of us, I don't think, and there's there's no shame in having to be reminded and encouraged to do that. And you know, I'll say for myself, looking at looking at this sermon um, again, I, I need the I need the motivation, I need the encouragement to to reach out to the people around me. So Christ ministered to the Samaritan woman at the well, and the the passage here, John 4, 31 to 38 says, in the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. So maybe a little bit of context here. Jesus had met the lady, the Samaritan woman at the well. His disciples were off trying to find food. So he strikes up a conversation with her, um, ends up knowing all about her, and as he revealed this, he knew her entire life. And he ends up meeting her family and having a lot of good conversations. His disciples come back and they say, We found some food, eat. He sa- but he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye there yet four months, and then cometh the harvest? Behold, I say unto you: Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already; for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto, et- unto life eternal. That both he that soweth, and he that reapeth, may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true: One soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that wherein ye bestowed no labor; other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. So there's a, there's a lot packed into these, these couple verses. I am not spending all night on this, but a couple, a couple points. Jesus was motivated or fed by something that was not material, that was not physical food. He was that engrossed in ministering and administering spiritual food to people that were hungry and searching that he's seemingly lost all desire for physical food. So he's literally not just using this as a a metaphor, he's literally saying, I I don't need food, I have eaten. Um, He actually denied physical food because what he was doing took all his attention. Are, are, Are you and I able to get that excited and engrossed in having conversations with people that we forget to eat and not conversations about trucks or raising spinach or whatever. I mean, that's okay too. Do we actually care enough about people's souls and figuring out how to say something to them that will be a turning point in their life that, that we forget our carnal material desires So I had to think the last, I don't, I don't know how you all experienced the last three, four years. I feel our world just got put in a, a shaker, a blunder and shaken. Um, some really horrible things happened. Uh, but I do also know that there's a lot of conversations been had that would, would not have had if, if they weren't forced upon us. There has been a, a spiritual awakening. I can, I can say personally I, I have seen this the spiritual war kind of open to me. If your head is still in the sand, you think we're just living in a happy world where things are peaceful and everything's good. Um, I don't know, maybe maybe you're not effective enough Satan hasn't been bothering you. I don't know, but it seems a spiritual war has just come raging to the to the surface. <clears throat> There's a lot, a lot of things wrong with our world. And what what can you and I do about it? The children of God should be doing something to better our world. So what, what is the answer? You know, political involvement. Should we be running for office? Uh, should we be doing community service, trying to clean the parks and pick up the garbage? Or should we be protesting? Should we be activists? Um those things may make a difference, may do something. It's, it's certainly not the answer. It's not what our core problem of what our, what our world is experiencing. Ephesians six ten to 12 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We are here to fight a spiritual war. So it is okay to fix people's hunger needs and clothing needs, but the primary purpose for doing that should be to help their spiritual condition. And if if we can, maybe not physically with our eyes, see spiritual beings, we can see the effects of that in, in real life. The, spirit, the, the spiritual war is raging. A, a quote I like from Albert Einstein. He said he he's, he said, I do not know with what weapons World War III will be fought, but World War IV will be fought with sticks and stones. So you know, let that sink in a little bit, and you know, I'll know what you what you think of that. But the prediction that Man is so clever, so intelligent, so advanced that we are now smart enough to utterly destroy ourselves and set us back centuries. Seems really clever, doesn't it? We're so smart we can, we can destroy ourselves. And you know, that's a, that, that, that could be a very accurate prediction. Um, we don't, don't know, but it's a very insightful man and it, it's food for thought. How high are the stakes in the spiritual war that is raging? Does man ever get to a place where we just plateau and we just enjoy a golden age? We reach this level of perfection where we just, we just coast and enjoy perfection. That's what people would like to tell you and believe is possible. And we are almost there. If we can just make all these crazy people go away who make us feel guilty... If we can just hush all the Christians who make us feel horrible, we can just reach this level of perfection and just enjoy it. What man does is destroys himself. That's what we do. We don't get better without Christ. We become more depraved and we destroy ourselves. So what what are our objectives? What what is our measure of success? Do we annihilate the enemy or do we save them? Who is the enemy in this spiritual war? Have you thought like me sometimes? You know, look, like I'm going I'm to just build this stronghold around my family and save them from all these crazy people out there that I thought ever enter your mind as a parent? Um, physically maybe. Are you going to dig into a bunker so you can enjoy food while everyone else is has um, burned their own or is looking for it. Are our fellow humans who are made in the image of God are our enemy? No matter their state of life and the decisions they're making or their beliefs, are they our enemy? Or is Satan our enemy and it is our job to help save every living soul here on earth yet from the true enemy these people maybe are not our partners and we need to be very very careful how we let unsaved people influence us but these are people made in the image of God like you and I that God loves just like you and that need grace just like me and we need to help get the light to them if if that is not our purpose on earth what is? You're not put on here just to just to make it through and squeak into heaven. You're here to spread as much light and truth as you can. To save as many of your fellow men as you can. I have, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. When we have to do something, we figure out a way to do it, right? men can be very creative in, in the workforce in, in saving ourselves work. There has been amazing inventions made because this thing has to get done, and I'm not strong enough to do it, so I have to figure out a way to make it happen. Um, ladies, the same thing, whether it is growing gardens or mending clothes or whatever you do, we, we figure out ways to get things done that have to be done. If people need saved, we need to figure out how to do it. We can't just convince ourselves that people don't need the truth. We need to figure out how to get the truth to people. And it's easier for me to say, well, I, God hasn't parked that straight in front of me. Um, you know, if it becomes really obvious, I'll, I'll do that. that. That is my task. It is imperative. And I feel An urgency. You know, there's people been saying for a long time that the end of the world is drawing nigh. It may go another 2,000 years. I don't know. But if you look at the events in the world, particularly I'm fascinated with the Middle East and the nation of Israel and what is happening over there. It sure looks like the time clock is, is winding down to zero. Zero. That should not panic us or disturb us. That should actually comfort us. But it should panic us for the soul of our unsaved neighbor. And he could, our, our neighbor, an unsaved person could die tomorrow in, a, in an, an accident too. Um, but the, the reaping time is, is now. God, the, the judgment is soon. So the time to harvest is now. So how, how do we go about I have I kind of made seven points here. Um, one is who or, or what is our responsibility? What are some reasons or why do we not reach out? Why should we reach out? Some examples of people who have reached out to the people around them in the Bible. Um, some methods and ideas. You're gonna to have to figure most of this out yourself. I can I can give you some humble ideas, but it's probably, you know, a potato picker doesn't work to pick peaches. So you're you're gonna have to you're gonna have to figure stuff out yourself. What are some challenges or qualifiers? Is there do we prioritize? Do we just indiscriminately go out and just start shouting Jesus loves you in the street? Uh, do we just start walking into random houses and um, preaching a sermon to people how do we decide who we are investing our valuable time in and why you or why me isn't this our missionary's job isn't this Nate's job isn't, isn't, or maybe it's the youth's job they should be doing the outreach right whose job is it we, it's pretty easy to, to try to pass the buck on somebody else So who is our responsibility? So our family is our responsibility, right? So as far as influencing for the gospel and and supporting and encouraging people on this earth, our family, I would say, is arguably our our number one priority. 1 Timothy 5.8, "...but if any provide not for his own and and especially for those of his own house..." he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. Our church, Galatians 6.10 says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. You are responsible to care for the spiritual needs of the person next to you in the pew. We are supposed to care about each other, not just in physical ways, and care enough to actually challenge and criticize each other too. We are responsible for the spiritual health of our fellow church members and community, which we are going to talk about tonight. You know, the Good Samaritan and Luke. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. So the people we are bumping shoulders with every day. Whether this is a drunk or a victim in the ditch or the store clerk you're bumping into, the people we are running into in our daily lives are our neighbors. And we're also responsible for the whole world. Mark 16:15 says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So the gospel needs to go out to everybody. Tonight we're talking about our community, our neighborhoods around us. Why don't we reach out? If you really want to look for excuses, I can give you a couple. Um, you've already, you already have them, so I might as well list them and then call them out. If we go to reach people, um, we often do that in a physical way. Use physical things to, to gain an end to, to buy people's time, right? That should be the goal. We can we can cause dependencies. You know, if you if you ever read any of Gary Miller's books, *The Other Side of the Wall*, um, it is possible to harm people with good intentions and generosity. We can actually do more harm than good. Um, the most loving thing is not just to create a dependency and, and create a helpless person. The church is not a welfare system. It should not be. We can actually be a, a harasser. I think we've all met them people who were trying to evangelize to us all day long at work. And it actually becomes kind of annoying. So there is a point where we can actually turn people off by literally being harassing them. And we have to figure out where that line is. It is possible to be an annoying person. I don't think anyone wants to be that. So it can be an excuse to say, I'm just going to mind my own business. They can read my life. So there, there are some negative effects. Um, another reason not to reach people is we are tired. Do you ever get tired of doing good? Especially when you're getting kicked in the face for it? Which happens. It will happen. You're going to get unappreciated for doing the right thing. People have been saying that forever. If we talk about the end times and the urgency, which is interesting because in, in Peter, it is actually one of the signs of end times is people will say, they have been saying this forever and He has not come yet. And in Peter it says, that's also what they're saying right before the flood came and destroyed them all. Christ is coming back one of these days. Maybe my grandfather thought He would and He didn't. Maybe He won't come back tomorrow. But if I was banking on it, I would tell you it's going to be really soon. And if I'm wrong, and we save a whole bunch of people in the next two years, and Christ doesn't come quite yet, that's great. <clears throat> let's, let's, keep the, let's keep the energy. Do not grow tired. <laughs> so, yeah, actually in Second Peter I have it written down here. For, for know this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the waters and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. In Matthew uh, Matthew 24, it gives the account of the unfaithful uh, steward of the house who, who beat the servants. He kind of figured the master was not coming back. The master was gone for a long time and he eventually became abusive and ran the house and, and kind of lost sight that he's going to have to give account for how he ran the household. The master is coming back. And you have been given a task and God's servants here on earth and the potential servants on earth. It is our responsibility to get the house in order. It's not just your ministry's responsibility. It's not your parents. It's not just the youth. It is everyone's responsibility to get this house in order. When Christ comes back, we want Him taking as many people with Him as He can. In Luke, Luke 21, watch ye therefore and pray always that ye, that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. If we are concentrating on Christ coming back and praying, prepping for that, that, that actually counts us as worthy. That's a fascinating verse. If we are just trying to live a life of indifference or denial or apathy are we going to be counted worthy to be taken along even if I'm living a clean life but I don't really not really concerned I don't really feel an urgency for Christ coming does that disqualify me It's a it's a sobering verse to think about Another reason we don't reach out is we feel inadequate well, join the crowd. Moses, Jacob, Apostle Paul, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ in the wilderness prayed to the Father for strength and fasted. He did not just walk in there and think, I got this. Now, i got to be careful saying he felt unworthy, but he knew he had to concentrate and, and go about things the right way for a victory. So if if... If you're not worthy, I was going to say, make yourself worthy. That's not really possible. Go to the source of strength that will make you worthy. None of us are worthy. So get over it and and get the help you need and carry on. Why do we reach out? So you can probably list 10 more excuses if you want to, bad enough. At the end of the day, they're just excuses. So why should we reach out? So the first one, who, who thinks the world is a mess? Anybody thinks the world is a mess? I mean, I could probably spend two hours convincing you. We can talk about government policies. We can talk about health care. We could talk about the economy. We could talk about food insecurities. And it doesn't look like you have too many of them, right? The gardens look pretty good around here. But if you look around the world, starvation is a huge problem. Wars and rumors of wars. Like seriously, this is a whole new a whole new level. I mean, I've been hearing other generations say we're in the end times because of all the wars and rumors of wars. I, I don't know how we can there could be more wars and rumors of wars going on at one time without we we are pretty insulated where we are right here. There is horrible things happening in the world. Mankind is very cruel to each other. Our education system. Does anybody feel good about the education system in the world? What the generation that our education system has raised? The people running governments and even churches right now? They have been raised without the teaching of God in schools. And it's why we have the leadership we do relationships. Do you know, know anyone that's divorced or doesn't know their father or has broken everywhere I go? We we have been very blessed. Our heritage, which we tend to maybe, as as young people, we tend to take for granted the heritage we've been given and maybe even resent it a little bit. If you start rubbing shoulders with the world, the horrible relationships and all the bad things that are out there are saddening. Does the world need a little bit of help? Or you think they're going to figure it out themselves? All the things they're trying to implement as solutions just keep digging the hole deeper. So if a child doesn't feel secure in their own self, you now let them decide to change their gender and give them the drugs to destroy their body. The, the depravity that's happening, the world is, I think, truly trying to find some answers, um, but they are clearly not finding it. So the world needs help. And another, another reason why we need to reach out is we have a lot to offer. Do you have anything to offer the world around you? Do you think you have anything to offer? So we have food and clothes and shelter. We actually have a lot of material things that a lot of people in the world do not have. We actually have material things that we can share. <clears throat> you know, as you have done it under the least of these, so Matthew 25, there's actually verses 31 to 46. It's actually a, a fascinating Scripture there too. He, he The the parable of... of those who have done things in Christ's name, um, and then he says he did not know them. As you, you did not feed the poor. You did not clothe the needy. You did not visit those in prison. Um, and they said, well, when do we do this? He said, as you did it not unto the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it not unto me. And then the vice versa, to those who did care for the least of these, my brethren, It's actually a fascinating study, the least of these my brethren. Is he talking about the Jewish people? I think this also means the least of those in the communities around us too, but if you look how nations and people treated the Jewish people over history, it did not end well for people that mistreated God's people. But we can also apply this to the poor and needy around us. Everyone was put on this earth intended to be a child of God. And the, the least of those are those in our communities too. Even if they deserve the state they are in, and I'm, I'm not talking about your, I don't, I don't know the state of the community, the people or your, but there is depravity everywhere you look. And most of them deserve it. You know, I deserve it too. I deserve to be living in the gutter and getting what what I earned and it is I am not getting what I deserve. So can I view people with compassion that we have things to share and we are going to be held accountable for the compassion we either did or did not show when we had the ability to help someone's to help someone's need. What else do you have? You have you have truth and freedom to offer. So that, that's some pretty heavily used words lately. Um, and I think they're misused a lot. But you have the truth and true freedom to offer to people. <clears throat> John 8, 31-36, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue on my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin, and the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. And if the son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. If you look at the early church, they did not enjoy the freedom that's talked about in the world. Um, They were bound and persecuted and and martyred. But they enjoyed true freedom, right? So that's the freedom we have to offer to the world. And it it transcends physical freedom. Our joy and freedom are not dependent on circumstances. You know, we have, if you want to look at material things too, we have, you have been taught... I want to say generally, I don't know all your individual circumstances. We have been taught a work ethic. We have been taught the the value of of discipline and hard work and telling the truth and and structure and and we reap the rewards of that. That's things we can share with other people. You know, understanding. Did you ever if you want to fix a problem, if you want to fix a broke down bus? The first thing you have to do is diagnose it, right? So mothers, you have children. If you have an infant, I always hated when infants got sick because they can't tell you what's wrong. So the first thing you have to do is diagnose the problem, right? Now, if it's it's a bus or a lawnmower or a car, sometimes it's just pretty tempting just to drive the thing into a landfill because, quite frankly, I don't feel like figuring it out. And if I do figure it out, it's probably too depressing to fix anyway. If it's a child, that's different. Hopefully we never feel like that about our child. We have to figure out how to fix it, but we don't know how to diagnose it. That's kind of a big hurdle. Saving the lost, you have already diagnosed the problem. If they tell you they feel fine and they have no need and they are perfectly at peace, they're lying to you. And you know that. We're all humans. And if we do not have Christ in our hearts, we do not have peace. You don't have to spend one minute trying to figure that out. This person is not happy. This person is not content. They are not enjoying a gay lifestyle. They might be enjoying some of the the things. They do not have peace and joy. You don't have to spend have to spend any time debating that. I I tell my teenage children, um, you might as well not try to things on me because I have been 16 and 18 and 20 you have not been 46 I know what the inside of your brain looks like you do not know what mine does you have been lost the person you're witnessing to may not have probably was not saved already you know how they feel you just need to convince them that it is worth taking the step to how you feel that, that's a huge leg up. We have a huge advantage in, in trying to reach people. Tough love. You know, truth with love, not sympathy with soft comfort or encouragement. You know, there's a, there's a phrase I'd heard that love without truth is not true love. And truth without love is not truth. I agree with the first part and I don't agree with the second part. Truth is truth. Now, truth administered without love can be damaging and can be hard on people. It is still truth. Love without truth is not true love. If you love someone enough that you think you want to lie to them and convince them they're okay as they're going to hell, you do not truly love them. You just don't have enough of a spine to tell them the truth. So love them enough to tell them the truth. But do it in a loving way when you can. <clears throat> Another reason we reach out is time is running out. I've, I, I think I hit that point pretty hard already. Do we have a sense of urgency? Another reason is, quite simply, it is commanded. You are told to reach your community. It's a direct command from a God. It applies to every every person on earth. If you were a child of His, claim to be a child of His, you are commanded to reach those around you. Another reason it benefits you. Actually, taking the time to recognize needs of people around you and, and care and care about people and reach out to people is a benefit to you. how many depressed people do you know who are busy helping others think about the people in your life who are out actually doing things when there is i don't know what you do if you have cottage meetings if you do community cleanup if you do any the people that are going taking meals every time there's an opportunity someone has financial hardship the the first people who are there to recognize that and come meet your need I'm guessing every one of you has had a hard time in your life and there was some, somebody there who actually recognized and showed up when they weren't asked and offered some kind of help. How many times were them people grouchy, mean-spirited people? I, it tends to be my experience that the people who are the most grouchy and miserable are the ones that are serving themselves. And that, that's me some days. When I'm feeling the most grouchy and miserable is when I'm trying to get, make my life nice. When I'm helping other people, that's when life feels really good. <clears throat> so how do we do it? You're can be you going to need to be creative. You know, one thing, we, we tried at Calvary, and it worked, and I think it needs jump-started again, but if you say, we're going to raise an offering for community outreach, who is... Who wouldn't throw a couple dollars in the plate for that? That's, that's a really worthy cause. It's, not, it's pretty easy sell to raise an offer and raise some funds for community outreach, right? Now I think that's pretty cross the board. You may not give like your entire paycheck, but you're going to say that's a worthy cause and you're going to give to it. And then what the deacon does and says, wow, you've gave so much money, I can't possibly figure out a way to disperse all this money. And I don't know enough of people... You're going to have to help me identify some needs here. And then you say, well, that's a very worthy cause, but you know him better than me, so I'm going to give you a couple dollars. Why don't you go give that to your neighbor? I don't know if that's a bait and switch or not, but I tend to kind of be hesitant just to go walk over to my neighbor and say, hey, you look more needy than me. I'm more responsible than you, and I've done a better job you know, planning my house maintenance in my car, but you clearly haven't, so could I help you? I mean, do we not feel like, does that not kind of how we feel sometimes when we see a need and we like to help, but we don't know how to do it? It's a lot easier to say, hey, my church is just looking for ways to help the community. Um, we know people are in hard times and no fault of theirs we would love to fill your propane tank or give you a gift card for a store. Would you, would you let us do that? It's just a little less personally offensive. And it, it, it works really well. Now, the potential problem is that Deacon does get end up, can end up getting stuck with, with a lot of projects that he can't all get around to. And we do have to coax each other to get out of our comfort zone and go smile at someone, look in the eyes, and offer them help. It's really not that horrible thing to do to offer someone help, but it is. It's it's it is hard, even for me. And I kind of like people. You can do work projects. You know, go. I don't I have no idea what you guys do. It's springtime. It's maybe getting a little late spring, but. Just go ask, just go drive around, look that people have weeds in their flower beds and ask if you can come over a Wednesday night with 10 people and weed their flower beds and wash their flower bed. And then they're going to have a really hard time not letting you sing a song and read a Bible verse to them. It can take five minutes. All you got to do is make sure they know that you are there because the love of God prompted you to do it. You don't have to fix their whole life in one night. Just show the love of God to people. You've taken a couple hours of your evening to deliberately go bless someone who clearly had a need. Buy gift cards and go go hand them out. Um, most of us probably know a neighbor who has a bit of a struggle. Um, so whether it's food or clothing, go buy an appropriate gift card and ask them if, if you can give it to them. Pay their utilities. Meals—you can do meals all kinds of ways. Plan a meal in the church, invite the community in. Sometimes it works, sometimes it don't. Plan a meal in your backyard, invite your neighbors. Do a block party. Um, go buy a Thanksgiving turkey and offer it to your neighbor. Maybe they don't know how to make it. You can actually start businesses. You know, babysitting, cleaning, property maintenance, shovel snow, daycares, after-school programs. Just because you actually do it for a day job, it doesn't mean it's it's not a ministry. Find a way to talk to the people around you and actually let's well, say maybe create or build your reputation or create a relation or build a relationship. We don't have to be best friends with people, but deliberately look for ways to interact with people. What did Jesus do? He walked around rubbing with shoulders with everybody he could, right? <coughs> Joseph, you look at Joseph, everywhere he went, he was making friends and actually actually almost created dependencies. He was the most trustworthy people, most trustworthy person everyone knew everywhere he went, whether it was in the prison or the king's court or in Potiphar's house, everywhere he went, he connected with people and, and drew people to him. So what, what are some what are some qualifiers? Um, I just have the truly needy, and this this may sound cruel, but in 1 Timothy 5, 3 to 15, it talks about widows, and there actually is parameters for helping the needy, specifically widows in that verse. Who doesn't want to just help someone who has lost a husband? Um, but it is possible to do more harm than good. We are most blessed. The, the giver is more, more blessed than the receiver. So if we give more care than a person needs, we actually deny them the, the ability to, to give and to serve. So we, we, do, we do need to be careful. We need, need to be intentional. We don't just go dumping help on everyone we can. I guess you know my thought is we actually use the, the material, whether it is your services, doing yard work, or giving food, we'll use that as and and an in. So as, as an opener, as a reason to start a relationship and to talk to people. <clears throat> I have allow opportunity to witness or bless spiritually. So if, if this is not giving you the chance to have some kind of conversation, you're, you're Maybe not wasting your time, but a better use of your time is if doing something allows you to talk to this person and build a relationship. We are scared to get personal, but that is the purpose. I want to go help someone and then just go home again and not get into any messy discussion. The whole purpose for helping someone is so they ask questions and you have to dialogue with them. Ladies, I'm guessing none of you are excited about someone coming up in public and asking what the cap on your head is for. That is actually, that should, that should like, make our day. I'm not saying it does or it's it's natural that it does. When someone is asking you a question for the hope that is within you, we should be jumping all over that opportunity. Um, so men, whatever it is, we're in the workplace, and you say, well, why don't you work Sundays? Why don't... If people are cursing on the job site and you show up on a job site and you don't curse, it's funny after how a couple of days, or actually it's a couple of minutes sometimes, the conversation just cleans up. People recognize that. So when they get the courage to ask you, do we try to downplay it and back out? Or do we say, thank you for asking. I, am, I, I would love to tell you. How much time do you have? Where do you want to start? What can we talk about? Do you like end times prophecy? Do you just want to talk about love and mercy? Do you, like where, do you have family relationship problems that we can talk about? Are you ready to dive in? Or did you just want to give the guy a $20 bill so you feel better and then go home again? The whole purpose is to try to solve or help someone with their spiritual needs. And I, I, need, to t- I, I need to tell myself this. I'm talking to myself. don't be afraid to talk about your God your church and your family so you know I've been in construction all my life and I used to get out to a lot of jobs and just meet the lady in the house a lot so whether it was to, to see the job or if I get there a responsible man is off working usually and you have we have to be careful right so one way to make sure stuff stays straight is the first chance you have, and you just create it, you, you mention your beautiful wife and your wonderful family, you talk about your family and your children as quick and as often as you can. For, for my mind, re- remind me who I am and what matters to me, and tell the person right where you are. There is a lot of opportunities to throw God into the conversation. Or just say when you're talking about Whatever, say, yeah, my church did this last week. I was there with my church group. Tell people you you just told the person you go to church. You don't have to walk in the door and say, I am a Bible-thumping, hardcore Christian, and I am going to proselytize you before this is done. You let people know who you are. Hopefully they have a suspicion after meeting you a little bit, but just let them know. And then they have the opportunity to ask you some questions. <clears throat> if you're not a job to do work, you're supposed to be doing work. That's what you're getting paid for. Um, but give people the opportunity to, to ask you more important things. So why, why you? Why me? Why why can't why can't the men just take care of this, right? Like your job is to. Feed and clothe your man, right? And he can go do the witnessing. Or you guys are out actually earning the paycheck. I mean, they're the ones who make the pies. They could surely walk over to the neighbor and offer the pie, right? And then with their sweet, beautiful self, just say, I have such a nice life and such a loving God. Don't you want to know more about him? And they could even offer to come over and talk to you, the husband. You would probably appreciate that, right? We could always pass this to somebody else. So why specifically you? Why is, why is this your responsibility? So Esther, we're familiar with the story of Esther, right? For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, Mordecai is telling her, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Did it ever occur to me that I am privileged to be a child of God? I have the best news ever given to men. And I, and I have been tasked with sharing it. If you had the cure for cancer and you were asked to go deliver this to John Hopkins, or I mean, would, would I be dragging my feet? If I invented a new, I don't know what tool do we really need right now. Like a house, I mean, we got three D printers. We have I, I can't. I, we're actually becoming so advanced in tools. I I think we're kind of coming to the Albert Einstein thing. I think we there's a lot of a lot of discussion right now that AI is actually going to destroy man. You know, I don't think we need to spend time worrying about that. But there's there's so many advancements we almost don't need other things. But if you had the most miraculous thing ever known to man, that that would you would be the most privileged, wealthiest person on earth, right? You have the you have the best news ever given, but we we're like, why well, why do why do I gotta share that, God? Seriously, can he share it? And God says, what? I mean, I get it. You know, we I I make light of that, but. Can we seriously see it in that in that in that light? Do you have the opportunity to save someone's soul or to give them give them the truth that will save their soul? And we hesitate. Esther felt that way. Esther said, Why? why okay, Mordecai, what? I mean, just because I'm the queen, that actually means I'm the most volatile. Like, do you remember what happened to the last queen? Like, this doesn't like maybe I just continue quietly influencing him so the stakes were not just you have an amazing opportunity you have the opportunity to be a a soldier or a worker in the vineyard however you want to quote it for the sovereign almighty God of the universe like we should be excited about that I, I think we are I pray you all are 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 we being excited about who we are? Why are we tempted to like put our heads down? 1 Corinthians 6 talks about do you not know that you will judge angels? Do you not, not know that you will judge the world? The saints of God have the, the truth, the keys to life. Like we, we need to be excited about that. <clears throat> the warning here was. Not only is this an amazing opportunity that has been given to us, if you shirk this, you will be destroyed. There is no neutral ground here. If we are ashamed of the gospel, Christ is going to deny us at the judgment seat. Now, having some hesitancy is natural. We don't need to beat ourselves up. But if we are unwilling to share the news because we are ashamed of God, He is going to be ashamed of us. And in Esther here it says not just you but your father's house will be destroyed. You cannot be neutral. I I can easily believe that lie that I'm just going to I'm just going to back out. I I actually kind of like being controversial. I kind of enjoy debate. Not everyone does. But I have plenty of moments where I would rather just back out. You you don't have that choice. We don't have that choice. And if anything has come to light in the last couple years, that has become more and more apparent. There is darkness and there is light. So who are we going to stand for? So, so let's get up and start fighting this fight. And how we fight it is saving men's souls. And you can actually go be nice to people. Take people pies and weed their flower beds. It's it's actually pretty easy. Can actually be a pretty pleasant task. And people maybe will push back a little bit, but there is a lot of people that really appreciate it. You know, the we have some really good feel-good stories. I mean, I can testify personally. Just get your just get yourself on a roll and you won't <laughs> you won't want to stop. So in conclusion, who or what is our responsibility, our family, our church, our community, the rest of the world? And just a reminder of the, the good Samaritan again. So which of these three do you think was his neighbor to him that fell among the thieves? And he says, he who showed mercy to him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. When you have the opportunity to show mercy and help someone, take it. God's not going to give you great opportunities if we're passing up the ones we have. We start taking them opportunities and using our talents. God's going to take the talents from the guy who's passing up and and give it to the one who is using it. Don't be the one who is getting your talents taken. Be the one who is doing as much as you can with them. And why do we reach out? The world is a mess you have a lot to offer. You have the answers of life. Time is running out. It is commanded. And it will benefit you. You will have your most fulfilled, enjoyable life if you are serving God as He asks you. And the, one of the most fundamental things is spreading the gospel to your, your fellow men. You, you do that and you will, you will enjoy the best life. Let's pray. I don't know if you let's let's kneel for prayer if you're able.